0: Welcome to the MedEvidence podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Koren and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data.
1: Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to encoredocs.com. This is MedEvidence: Truth Behind the Data. In this episode, Dr. Michael Korn and Dr. Mitch Rothstein are kicking the nicotine habit. It's a brain thing. Dr. Michael Korn is a practicing cardiologist and chief executive officer at Encore Research Group, which conducts clinical trials across Florida. He has been the principal investigator of over 2,000 trials and has been published in the most prestigious medical journals. Dr. Corrin received his medical degree cum laude at Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Mitch Rothstein has practiced clinical pulmonary and sleep medicine for over 30 years in Jacksonville. For the last six years, he has transitioned into clinical research as medical director of the Phase 1 unit at Jacksonville Center for Clinical Research. Always be sure to subscribe. MedEvidence for weekly notifications. And for more information on local trials, go to EncoreDocs.com. That's E-N-C-O-R-E-D-O-C-S.com. Or call 904-730-0166. For more interesting and educational audios, videos, and papers on the truth behind the data, try out MedEvidence.info. Lots of interesting topics and presentations are there. Also, Always check out the links in the show notes. So gentlemen, at the end of the last segment, we really kind of touched a tad on the trials that are being done for smoking cessation. So uh, let's dive right back into that.
2: Sure. So as mentioned, we have been very involved in smoking cessation trials amongst other things. And as a preventative cardiologist, of course, um, it's something that I'll often refer my patients to. Typically, I would ask patients, one, have they tried other methodologies? Obviously, we talked about cold turkey. And, um, <laughs> and the, the five uh,
1: behavioral modifications. And the five behavioral modifications.
2: Yep. And we talked about the different forms of nicotine replacement, mm-hmm. whether it be um, a topical replacement as a patch or something you put in your mouth, chewing. We even talked about uh, chewing tobacco. Mm-hmm. And, um, and vaping it, a little bit. Yeah, we been talking about vaping. <laughs> and, and these are all different ways of getting it. And the IQOS system, which is heating, the tobacco, rather than burning the tobacco, which is approved in Japan, and we just got late word that the uh, the FDA has given it. it's okay on that, but there is a patent dispute, so it's about an intellectual property issue that is uh, preventing it from being widely available in the U.S. market. It's just to throw that out there. So, um, so there's a lot of lot of different options, but sometimes even all those options fail. I, actually, the other option we didn't talk about is sometimes um, smoking addiction is really strongly connected with depression so using uh, anti depression therapies mm-hmm. can sometimes be helpful well, and mobutran well, yeah. uh, is the one that's most well known yep. for that it's um it's a drug that has multiple properties and it's it, it's used for anti uh, for antidepressant reasons but actually probably it's been sold more as a nicotine um, aid a nicotine cessation aid than anything else i would think and if the numbers speak for that I mean, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah actually that was one of the uh, adverse effects that they found during the depressive studies with well butrin was that people stopped smoking they didn't have as much urge to smoke so they Huh. Well, let's, uh, do another study on smoking
2: cessation. So interesting, and that, and that that happens a lot in clinical trials. It's actually one of the benefits of doing clinical uh, doing clinical trials. You know, obviously, we, we're focused on the side effect profile, but sometimes side effects can be good. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. right. You want them you know, to happen. And
2: uh, there's there's lots of examples of that. The most famous example is actually Viagra, which was developed as an antianginal drug and then turned out to be um, a whole new way of treating erectile dysfunction. But anyway, um, getting back to the the studies. So right now we're working on these. Drugs that specifically stimulate receptors in the brain that are responsible for creating that dopamine surge that makes people want to smoke, and um, and and Dr. Rossin knows a lot more about the details than I do, but, and I actually have some questions for him about it. But the 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 concept, of course, is that these are comprehensive programs. They are placebo controlled, so not everybody will necessarily be on the active therapy but all the standard elements of treating patients will be part of it, including behavior modification. Is a nicotine replacement allowed? Or do you no, remember offhand? Okay. No
0: nicotine replacement. And in fact, uh, you have to be, if you've used any other form of smoking cessation, you have to be washed out for at least 2 months before you
2: can participate in the trial okay and you know once usually once people are randomized in the trial which is the the process of choosing which part of the study they're involved are they getting the active drug or getting a placebo and usually, there's more leeway in term, terms of other things because it would be hard ethically to tell a patient that's in a clinical trial that you know that they're in big trouble because they use some nicotine gum. Mm. And but you'd be measuring that. And one of the things, in, the reason it's done that way, is scientifically you want to see if that urge for nicotine is different. But I'm pretty sure, just based on my general knowledge of clinical trials, is that that's one of the things they would track to see what other nicotine replacement products people are using. Yeah,
0: they're actually, the two things that they're tracking on this are not other nicotine replacement things. They're looking at carbon monoxide levels uh, and cotton levels. Ah, okay. So uh, they're not looking for... They're not checking for nicotine.
2: So they're not trusting the patients basically. Right. So th- those well,
0: that, that
1: was my next question is that, can you trust them to be honest? Well, that's a part.
0: So either, so it was interesting when they're looking at how people uh, are considered uh, failures in the study. Uh, the failures are either they admit to smoking mm-hmm. study or they're caught with conflicting data. They're saying they're not smoking and they have an elevated carbon monoxide level or their continent levels are high. uh,
2: which is a nicotine metabolite yeah so so that that makes sense It's, it's going to be more objective so, again, uh, the pronunciation of this drug is, is a little tricky. Is it cytocycline? Is that the way you pronounce it? I, I believe you're
1: correct. <laughs> okay. Okay, sure. I wasn't going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I have
0: it. They used to call not it a cytosine, which is uh, the way it's pronounced
2: in Europe. Right. Uh, in uh, the United States, they had a... cytocycline. They had to it, add a yeah.
0: vowel, yeah. I mean.
2: was <laughs> that a patent dispute? <laughs> <laughs> because
0: it's not a control substance there right it's a plant Uh, it's a Mm. plant-based therapy so do
2: do you know what plants it comes from
0: it's an out it's an alkaloid plant nitrogen based and I think it's the cytosine whatever
2: does anybody does anybody smoke that plant in Europe
0: (laughs) 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 so what is it designed to do so what is so it works at the nicotine receptor in the central nervous system and as Mike has said and we've been talking about, when that receptor is stimulated, it releases dopamine. And dopamine is what makes you feel good. It makes you want to then smoke again. So this acts kind of as a blocker at that, a blocker as well as an agonist, which means it has, it releases some dopamine, but it also kind of inhibits the release of too much dopamine. And then your body kind of, wants to adjust to all these receptors being filled up with this new molecule and as it does that it kind of neutralizes the effect of additional dopamine release so you don't get more and more dopamine release because you have more and more of this drug floating around so it kind of limits your upside Mm -hmm. in terms of Mm -hmm. the benefit of the dopamine release from the nicotine receptor and doesn't allow the nicotine receptor to interact with anything else that will release more dopamine.
1: Okay, I see. yeah. I mean, it sounds like a pretty powerful product yeah. to help, yeah. Well,
0: it's been now, now, there for years. Yeah.
2: Now, in the trials, does it matter if you've had Shantix um, before or Wellbutrin before, or is that, does that matter at all? As long as you're washed
0: out, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you, you can... You, it, one of the, the inclusion criterion for getting into the studies is that You have to have tried to stop before. And then the other issue besides not wanting people that are in childbearing age to participate in the study is you have to smoke at least 10 cigarettes a day. You have to be over the age of 18, and you have to be willing to set a quit date where you're going to stop smoking.
2: Yeah, Our producer just gave me a note saying that a citizen comes from the golden rain tree. It's, it's a seed of the golden rain tree. So that's a nice little piece of trivia. Thanks, producer.
1: Yes, thank you. That's. Oh, well, now I want to know where this tree is located. <laughs> it sounds like a nice tree. Well, I
2: have to do more research on that. Is <laughs> why they call it the golden rain tree.
1: <laughs> right, right. So, in the clinical trials, are you using the group support system to help people get over their addiction? So the support system
0: for the this clinical trial is telephone. Mm-hmm. So they have to speak with a advisor at least once a week. Uh, where they are, they can speak with them more than that, but that's part of the criterion to move forward with the study. Is You have to be involved in some type of behavioral therapy with someone guiding you along the way.
1: Is it easy to know who's on the placebo and who's not? In a trial like this? No, not. Well, no, I, I'm just asking because, you know, if, if people are really trying to overcome an that's addiction. A, that,
2: that, but that's, it's actually a great question. And anytime that you're interacting with people, the interaction itself may have an impact. And so you actually asked a re- really, really great question because in a lot of studies that we do, including depression studies, the people who are on the placebo get better. In fact, it's the biggest problem in depression studies that there's a huge benefit to just talking, to just being in a clinical trial. And it's the same thing for smoking, is that you're basically in a clinical trial, which is a support group. And that in of itself is going to help people. Mm-hmm. So it's anticipated in these trials that, that your quit rates, whether or not you're on the drug, on the active drug, will be much higher than would be in other circumstances. So it's a very, very important, cool part of what we do. Yeah,
0: that, that's uh, stunningly true. In fact, when uh, they were comparing quit rates um, with the other forms of medications that we use, Wellbutrin or Chantix, uh, they used it as a relative to placebo. So all of a sudden, the quit rates for people in these studies, where the we know the average quit rate is about six percent, the placebo group in these studies were quitting at a rate of ten percent. Mm. So. You had to beat ten percent to be, to show that one of these drugs was actually doing anything.
1: Wow! And are you doing these trials constantly? Is this yeah. something that is always happening?
0: This particular study is. Uh, I think there's twelve centers in the United States that are participating. They're looking at enrolling. There's three arms in the study, and they're looking at enrolling about two hundred and fifty patients in each arm. So we're. Um, eagerly uh, hoping that patients will want to participate in this and give us a call and get involved in this early because uh, we're pretty sure that this kind of a study is something that will fill relatively rapidly.
2: Now in in Europe where it's approved, do do people use this for lifetime or how do they go from initial quitting to long-term maintenance?
0: The uh, initial use of the medication which is being changed because the United States experiences different than Europe, is a 25-day course. Mm -hmm. So the course here is going to be for uh, six weeks, and one of the arms in our study is going to be another six-week, a 12-week arm. But it's not going to, whether or not people are going to benefit from the additional time, nobody really knows. People that participate in some of the trials have said that, yeah, I think I would have done better if I had another few weeks with the medicine, Mm -hmm. and whether or not there's people that remain on it uh, indefinitely is not known yet either. But traditionally, it was
2: just a 25-day course. Got it. Yeah, and, that, and that's the other thing in these type of studies is that you have the acute interventional phase and then the long-term phase. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to do the research in the first phase before we go to the other phase. Sometimes there'll be a long-term extension. I don't know if it's, it's a case here. Or there has to be some sort of strategy afterwards. So maybe that first 25 days is enough to get you off the worst of the d- addiction, which we you know is the case, mm-hmm. that you're the The cravings for, for tobacco um, are the worst in the first three days, and then once you get past that, it it, it becomes significantly less. But that transition zone is still going to be some, an important scientific question for the future and a practical question, of course.
1: Well, and you're getting the conversation started with the people. Honestly, you're getting them thinking about it, the behavioral changes that they need to make, and hopefully, you know, geared towards success following that.
2: Yeah, and and again, even, uh, quite frankly, even if you quit for short periods of time, your heart's happy about that, (laughs) your blood pressure's happy about that, your brain's happy about that. Right. And so, um, certainly, there's a lot of, you know, you can be very nihilistic about it and say, well, I'm going to eventually get back to smoking anyhow because everybody does, or you can say, okay, well, I'm going to keep on trying and be like Mark Twain and keep on quitting.
1: your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of MedEvidence, the truth behind the data.